Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. Okay, so a couple days ago I was driving down the street and um, my friend Josie Kalikia from Melbourne, Australia, who's a bright lifer, um, sent me this question uh, as a text message. She says, can I ask a question? What are your thoughts about labels, like how we define aspects of ourselves or label ourselves? Are they fixed or changeable? And I texted back, pulled over the side of the road, got gas, and texted back, labels are totally changeable. And then she texted back, okay, then my next question will be complicated. If a diabetic or someone labeled a diabetic can change and no longer be labeled a diabetic or be a diabetic, then why is an addict always labeled an addict? To which, of course, I had to like, you know, call her and give her a real answer. Uh, okay, so, and what I said was, uh, blah, 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 I explained, and then I was like, I, I think other people would be interested in the answer to this question. Could we turn this into a vlog, and could I use your name? And she said, yeah, totally. So, in a nutshell, here's what I told Josie. I said, um, I said, first of all, this is debatable, right? Like, not every expert would agree on the answer to this. Um, on both counts, um, I do believe there are still experts who believe once a diabetic, always a diabetic, and that's what they teach to people who are diabetic. Um, and I think there are experts who think that um, there are people who are formerly addicted, alcoholic, whatever, who are now no longer, and they would completely remove that label. As a matter of fact, I think the way the DSM uh, would label addicted people, first of all, they shy away from the term addiction anyway. Uh, you know, they say things like, you know, alcohol use disorder or something, whatever, like crazy. I don't know why they don't just call it alcoholism, but anyway, they don't. Um, and, uh, those labels, um, are dependent in a clinical setting on, you know, having recently been drinking really heavily. Like once you stop, you're no longer, you don't meet the criteria anymore. Um, so it's really in um, 12-step recovery that they talk about once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, once an addict, always an addict. Um, but as a neuroscientist, I, I think the neuroscience supports that framework. You know, um, basically, the underlying brain issue with addiction is two things. It's an underlying susceptibility, which is primarily gen genetic, um, although it can be also triggered by... Um, basically uh, tra traumatic upbringing. Um, and then a history with that underlying susceptibility, a history of cue, response, behavior patterns with a certain substance or process, because there are process addictions too, shopping, gambling, it's, you know, pornography use, etc. Um, an underlying um, dance of a triggering situation or cue followed by an, a compulsive or addictive behavior um, that wires in fiber tracks in the brain, you know, if A, then B, like, you know, and, um, those fiber tracks don't go away either. You can stop activating them and 50 years later, they're still there. Meaning you always have to be vigilant to not reactivate them. Someone who never had the issue doesn't have to be vigilant when they open up YouPorn, you know, uh, on their web browser or when they're clicking around Amazon, the one click thing, not a problem for them. Or when they, 
you know, are driving through Nevada and stopping a casino overnight because there's nowhere else to sleep, you know, and they're walking through that, you know, it's not an issue for them. They don't have to be vigilant in those situations. An addict um, always does because that underlying wiring never goes away. But in some ways, addiction is curable in the sense that a certain aspect of it is. Active addiction can be defined as, you know, the presence of one or both of the following. Um, once you start, you can't stop. And, or, either way, once you stop, you can't stay stopped. If you have either one of those, you're an addict. If you have both, it's lights out. Now, that's the condition that can be cured. I would say arrested. But you can recover from that. You can stop and stay stopped. And then you're put into a state of, let's call it remission, right? However, you decide to waltz back into that saloon. And there's no guarantee after that that you'll ever be able to stop and stay stopped again, right? You reactivate those, you know, the, the condition of being in a state of arrested addiction is, in my opinion, a little bit of grace, right? I have watched too many people pick up and then struggle and struggle and struggle, struggling to this day. And I've watched too many people kind of just get the grace of abstinence and, and they're, you know, living in that grace. And, you know, I don't really see a measurable difference between their history and their willingness and the program of action that they're working and what this other poor schlub who's doing the same stuff and comes from the same background and wants it just as bad and isn't getting it. Like, I don't really see the difference. So in my opinion, what looks like um, real recovery like you've stopped and you've stayed stopped, it's a gift. And if you have a wicked background, if you have a reason to think that you have the brain of an addict, then um, it's kind of, as the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous would say, your reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of you know, your spiritual condition or whatever it is that you did to get that, the maintenance of your program, the maintenance of that state of grace, not picking it up again. So I do believe once an addict, always an addict. And um, just to speak about labels for a second, um, I use the label addict and food addict in particular for myself. I mean, I'm an everything addict. I'm a junkie, right? Um, more now, again, better, harder, faster, stronger. Yeah, let's go. My drug of choice is what do you got? Um, you know, so as you can tell in the way I just said that, for me, part of my label as an addict is a little bit of, um, badassery. It's like a pair of hot sunglasses that I want to put on or something. Like I, for me, it's like, it's like a leather jacket that says Harley on the back. Like it's just, I like wearing it. It's, um, it fits me. Um, I, I'm a nonconformist. I'm a, I'm a, I don't know, right? Like I like to step onto the white hot tip of life and like look over the edge just because I'm kind of curious what's over there. So for me, labeling myself an addict doesn't feel like a chore or a, a, a shameful thing. For me, it feels like a badge of honor. So that's the first thing is, you know, I have to admit that it's not hard for me personally to wear that label. I've been wearing it freely since I was 20 and I first got into recovery. 
you know, that's like 24 years now. I've been wearing that label for a long time. Um, but also on a much more important, less superficial and um, more subtle level, I wear that label because it suits me. It serves me. It serves me. Like it, um, it benefits me for me to remember that I have a wily brain and I don't trust all of my thoughts. I think, I think every human being would be well served by thinking, I don't necessarily trust all my thoughts. You know, some of my thoughts are really colored by my emotional state. Um, I mean, you just read Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and you learn like there's two systems going on in the brain. And the one that we're operating out of most of the time is not very reliable. It's not the rational, long thinking kind of brain. It's the quick, I'm using shortcuts, I want what I want. We're guessing here and, you know, super sort of impulsive and, um, you know, really uh, shallow thinking, thinking based on heuristics and thinking that can be very easily duped. So I think every human being would be well served by mistru mistrusting their thinking to some extent. But for me, as someone who has a long history with addiction, I think it's even more important. I claim the label of addict because it reminds me on a day-to-day -day basis to practice my recovery. I'm not responsible for my addiction, but I'm responsible for my recovery. And the things that I do to this day, 24 years later, meditating, staying in touch with people who are on a path of recovery, making sure I don't get looped into resentments and really negative thinking, making sure I abstain from the behaviors and substances that cause me difficulty that I have proven that I cannot control once I start down that pathway. I'm a goner. To me, for someone who's sort of shown the evidence of being an addict and doesn't want to accept that label, my assumption is, now this is a judgment, but my assumption is it's because there's some hesitation with either abstaining from the substances and behaviors that are causing them difficulty, like they don't want to accept an abstinence model. And, you know, some people do fine without an abstinence model. That's, that's true too. I, I totally admit that. I'm not one of them, but th there are people in certain circumstances. Well, I've shared, um, I don't abstain from caffeine, you know, and that's a, a drug for me for sure. And it works for me to dabble with it here and there. And then sometimes it doesn't. It'll creep up and I'll, and it'll escalate and I'll really have to cut it off. And then I can pick it up again months or years later and, you know, play with it for a while. So anyway, I digress. Um, oh no, I lost my train of thought. Shoot. Um, so the person who doesn't want to accept the label addict and has shown a, a, a track record of being you know, really in trouble with certain things. Maybe they don't want to accept um, abstinence or maybe they don't want to take responsibility for their recovery. I think that there are exceptions to that in individuals who say, you know what? Um, I don't want to be branded with this label. I don't want to wear it, but I'm going to take, I'm going to, because I don't want to wear that label, I'm going to take extra strong responsibility to make sure that I'm never again demonstrating the kind of out of control behavior that would warrant, you know, someone slapping that label on me. To that person, I say hats off to you. 
You know, for me, my addiction involves just enough powerlessness that me resolving that doesn't get me to the finish line. You know, that's like what the evidence shows in so many arenas for me. You know, um, I prefer to look at my addiction as incurable, arrestable, but incurable. And I prefer to wear the label. And I just want to acknowledge that that's a viewpoint and a choice. And I choose that perspective because I believe that it serves me. And I think it's great that everybody has the full power of choice over whether they want to wear that label and whether they want to think of themselves as having an arrestable but incurable disease. I think that's totally fine. You know, choose the beliefs that serve you. It's one of the biggest freedoms we have in this world. Choose the beliefs that serve you. So, did I not talk about diabetes? <laughs> I didn't talk about diabetes. We go to the diabetes side of it. Um, here's what I know from talking with Robbie Barbero and Cyrus Kambata, who are, are um, you know, Cyrus has a PhD in molecular biology, I think, from UC Berkeley. They're both type 1 diabetics, and they know more about diabetes than anyone I've ever met. And I've talked with both of them at length about this. They teach people that if you have gotten your, if you're type 2 diabetic, type 1 diabetes is not curable yet. Um, if you're a type 2 diabetic and you've gotten your A1C below 5.6 and kept it there for over a year, they say you're not a diabetic anymore. But similar to what I was saying about the arrested alcoholic or addict, you still have to be vigilant about your eating because I asked them about this recently in preparation for shooting this vlog, and they agreed that the former type 2 diabetic, who's now not diabetic, is more susceptible to developing type 2 diabetes again if they let their food go off the rails than someone who never had it in the first place. So actually kind of a fairly analogous situation. To my mind, I think, now I don't, ha I'm not a former type 2 diabetic, but to my mind, just thinking it about it from the outside, I think that for the former type 2 diabetic, adopting the label of no longer diabetic is the more empowering label. I beat diabetes because I eat right. I don't know that, um, diabetic is a label that serves that person anymore. But I think keeping in mind, obviously, um, the slippery slope of, well, if I start eating badly again, I will be diabetic again. To my mind, it's almost like not diabetic is a label that I get to keep claiming so long as I keep eating the way I'm eating. And it's almost like a privilege that you don't want to lose. And in that way, claiming the label of not diabetic uh, would serve the former diabetic. That's just my thinking about it, you know? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I've been claiming the label of addict for so long. Um, it's like a comfy <laughs> flannel pair of pajamas for me at this point. Um, but thank you, Josie, for the topic. It was a really rich one. So good to spend this time with you. I love you. And I will see you next week. <laughs>